This is my favorite time of year. And it's not because we're starting to get out of the weird parts of summer where it's really hot. No, no, no. This is my favorite time of year because football season is back. Can I get an amen for that one? Come on. Now, uh, last week I said that I am from Iowa. So my favorite team is the Iowa Hawkeyes. If you haven't heard of them, don't worry, most people haven't. Uh, But see, Iowa is a very interesting team because one game every year, we look like Alabama and we destroy someone. And then the rest of the games, we forget how football is played. So we're an interesting team to watch, and it really gives me a chance to practice patience and virtue and love for the team that hates me. Uh, But it's actually not the favorite sport that I have. Um, My favorite sport isn't football. It's not basketball. Do we have any basketball fans in here? Uh, We got one, two. Okay, thank you, guys. Thank you. Do we have any baseball fans? Oh, <laughs> okay, so mine's not ba- basketball or baseball. Um, what about volleyball? Do we have any volleyball fans in here? Okay, we got, we got a couple. My favorite sport, I can guarantee you this. None of you know the top players. Uh, none of you know the best countries. And none of you follow it because my favorite sport is ping pong. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I know it's a hard world, but someone's got to do it. Uh, But I actually, I fell in love with ping pong when I was in middle school because in sixth grade, I walked into my youth group and there was a ping pong table. I was like, oh my gosh, this is my sport. I have found my true calling in life. So I went up to the table and I wanted to play my first game that I've ever played that I remember. I may have played earlier. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I, I got the ball and I hit the ball and I hit it so hard, I hit the guy in the eye. So good was not a quality that you would call me in ping pong, okay? I was not good at all. And I had a morbid curiosity or fascination about ping pong. I just liked the sport, but I never really got into it. And then senior year, uh, I went to, I was doing dual enrollment at a college and I started actually, uh, I saw that there was a ping pong table at college. And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to start playing. So I go and play. And what I didn't realize is that middle schoolers play differently than college professionals. So uh, where I thought I was bad before, I realized I was utter trash against these guys. They were, they were destroying me. I would lose games 11-0. I would lose games 7-0. You're not supposed to do that. But I somehow found a way to lose games that easily. And something clicked. I said, okay, in a year, I'm going to beat the best guy here. So I devoted myself to this. I started watching all the professionals, all the guys that you can't pronounce their names. Uh, I started watching every single match. I watched videos on technique and how to serve correctly. Like, I was obsessed with this sport. And then we actually, ironically enough, my dad found a ping pong table. So then I started playing him as much as I could. And then I started going, and I kept playing at the college. And I can tell you, I'm so proud of this. At the end of the year, the best guy, I still lost. Well I, well, I didn't realize that apparently he was the number two in the entire U.S. for ping pong. And he had a 43-game win streak. So I don't know why I thought I was going to beat this guy. But I was committed for a year, and I did, I did some pretty good work. But now, as an older person, I'm actually decent at the game. And one thing I like about that time is I learned if I dedicate myself for a full year, and I, I make everything that I do, I live and I breathe this sport. I'd get better. I didn't realize that I wouldn't get as good as I wanted to get, but I'd get better. Like if, if I became obsessed with this sport, I would grow.
And we talk about sports like this. We get obsessed with football. Or we, we honor guys like Tom Brady, who everything that he does, everything he breathes is football. I've never heard anyone talk about their spiritual life like that. I mean, honestly, it's not, I mean, when's the last time you said, all I want is I just want to pray more? We, we don't talk like that. We, we're not obsessed with our spiritual walk, usually. Maybe you are, and honestly, like props to you. I wish I was. But what's really scary is we put more emphasis and we put more effort into a game of sports that at the end of the day, even if you make it in the professional league, you'll probably retire around 25, 30, or 35. And the game will end. And we put less emphasis on our spiritual walk, which lasts all the way till the day we die and beyond that. I think Ernest Hemingway, one of the great authors, said it best. How do you go bankrupt? Two ways. Gradually, then suddenly. Every great success or every great failure you've ever seen in your life, I can guarantee you there's been a small trickle of deeds that brought them there. Great success, small movements towards success. Great failures, small movements towards failures. And here's my, here's my theory. Here's my hypothesis. Humor me for a second. I think that if we approached the way that we approach sports with our spiritual walk, I think not only would we be stronger and healthier, but we'd see absolutely massive rewards spiritually later on in our life. I mean, how many stories have you heard of some major pastor that had a, a big falling out? And I'm not going to name names. Like, I think we all, if I say that, have one person that we saw with great success was crushed under the pressure. I just want to let you know, that didn't happen overnight. Small decisions. What are your small decisions that you're making? So today we're continuing the series on Win the Day by Mark Batterson. If you haven't had a chance to get the book yet, we highly recommend that you get the book and follow along with us. But today, the sermon, it's the best title ever. It's called Eat the Frog. Now, don't worry. I don't have a bunch of live frogs in the back room that I'm going to give out to people so that you guys can eat it because that's kind of weird. But I was worried because I heard that I was preaching about this. I'm like, why is it called Eat the Frog? And it comes from a Mark Twain quote, actually. And this is the quote. If you ever have to eat a live frog, it's best done first thing in the morning. Why? Because you can go through the rest of the day knowing that the hardest thing is behind you. And then he continues later on. I don't even have this part, but he continues. And he says, if you have to eat two frogs, eat the biggest one first. Now, hopefully, none of us are eating frogs. And if you are, I'm kind of impressed because I would never do that in my life. But he has a point here. Let me ask you this. Would you rather work on building your habits now when it's easy or after a major break in your life when things go wrong? Would you rather work on lust before it fails a marriage or after? Would you rather, would you rather work on your words before you hurt someone or after you destroy someone's life with your words? Now, maybe that's not you. Maybe, maybe things are just easy for you and you can speak easy and you don't have any issues. And honestly, like you're way more righteous than I am and I want to learn from you, okay? That's not me. I got issues with tissues. I'm trying to figure this out. But I, I, I've, I read something and I figured something out. And this is kind of the theme for tonight. If, God, if you want God to do the super, 
You have to do the natural. Now, usually in church culture, we go one of two ways. We go, God is so great and so amazing, therefore, I don't have to do anything because he'll solve it for me. Or we go the opposite way, like we've been saved and I don't ever want to get to the spot that I was before, so I'm going to do everything in my own strength. And one side is partially right as well as the other side. One side will lead you to a place where you may be okay spiritually, but you're not succeeding at anything. The other side, you're trying to do everything on your own and you'll burn out. There's a middle road though. The phrase is, we pray and believe like it's all on God but we work as if it's all on us. That we know that God will come through, but we will provide the opportunities for him to come through. That he sets us in our lane for the race, but then we run the race. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this, Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize, just one? Run in such a way as to get a prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do this to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer being the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Would it be a terrible shame if I came up here every other week or sometimes and I'd preach, and then I'd go to the youth group and preach. And I'd die, but I disqualified myself because I actually never lived what I spoke. It'd be an absolute shame. In fact, some of you who know me really well would say you missed the entire point. It's not just good enough to speak well. It's better to live well. So how are you living today? What habits have you created to run the, way, run the race well? So today, our, our scripture that we're really diving into is one that if, you, if you're going through some discipline, if you're going through some conviction, if you're going through some growth, it's, it's going it's to convict you. It's Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Ouch. It actually seems painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not sound like some of the, everything's going to be amazing and great and you'll have no worries like I've heard sometimes in church before. It does not sound like everything will go exactly your way. Actually, that sounds like real life. But the crazy thing is not the fact that he says discipline will come, although he does. It's that it will provide you with righteousness later on. So my question is, how can we get to this point where we desire discipline, we desire growth? I think we start with the first point, and this is like base level, but if you don't get this, then we're going to have some really hard time for you experiencing growth in your life. First point, growth is difficult because it's not easy. Why is that? Because we are going from not being like Jesus to being more like Jesus. And in the next scripture, in James 4, 17, and it really says and gives the whole idea of why this is difficult. James 4, 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do but doesn't do it, it's a sin. Now, just letting you know, if you don't like that, I totally get that. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. 
So it's not just enough to do good, but if we know the good that we're supposed to do and we don't do it, it's a sin. Well, that seems hard because I do that all the time. I want to do the good things in life, but for some reason it's hard for me to do that. And the things I don't want to do, I tend to do that as well. And the Bible has a scripture about that too, Romans 7, 19. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And what's really interesting is that this comes from a guy named the Apostle Paul. Maybe you've heard of him before. The Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. He's considered to be one of the great apostles. And he said this. So if the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, and is kind of a guy that we have, like, we, like, put him as a role model, if he said this, then I'm just going to let you know, there's going to be a moment in your life where you want to do good, and it's really, really hard. And that's okay. We first have to accept that growth is difficult. Once we do that, here's the next step. You can run from discipline or you can run to it. Now, here's this, this one. I love saying to youth students because it's like really convicting, okay? You think that running away from your problems will make them disappear. It doesn't. It makes them bigger. And you tell a youth student that, and they're like, no, if I, if I don't talk about my problems, it will go away entirely. And it's like, you don't understand. The lust that you're pushing down and not facing gets worse if you let it go. So we need to run to discipline because we need to find a way to fight this. We just can't put it on hold because if we put it on hold, it will come back stronger. So we need to fight this. Now, sometimes we, we think that discipline is a bad thing or that it comes from an angry place. But I'm just letting you know, Proverbs 3.12 says this, the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a, as a father, the son he delights in. Listen to me. God disciplines you because he loves you. He doesn't hate you. He sends hard things your way sometimes because it's the only thing that will make you listen. And the sooner we can get to this point of we can accept the fact that growth is difficult and that we're running towards it, that's when you will experience the massive life change. We are disciplined because we are loved, not hated. Do you realize that today? So growth is, is one aspect, and that's an important aspect. We've got we to gotta face the fact that it is difficult. The second one's harder. Growth requires grit. You have to stick with it. Because I'm just going to let you know, if I walk into a gym one day, I deadlift once, and I say, you know what, I have a six-pack. All of you would say I'm lying, and you'd be right. I don't have a six-pack. I have a 12-pack. It's just not there. But we laugh at someone that tried to do that. If someone tried to approach their life in the same way that sometimes they approach their spiritual life, we'd laugh at them. You can't get into shape with one workout. I'm just going to let you know, you can't hit massive growth with one run to discipline. you got to stay at it. And the worst part about that is that it's really uncomfortable. No one enjoys that. Or maybe you do. Props to you. You know, uh, Alan Iverson wrote uh, a thing about Kobe Bryant, you know, the late, great Kobe Bryant that died a couple years ago. And he said, like, the first time that he met Kobe Bryant, uh, he wanted to go to the club late at night in L.A. 
and he goes up to Kobe, Kobe Bryant and he's like, hey, what are you doing after this? And Kobe's like, I'm going to the gym. And if you've heard that story, maybe you haven't, but what you have heard probably is the Mamba mentality, the fact that Kobe, day in and day out, whether he was first in the league or last in the league, whether he's been there for one year or 20 years, he went to the gym first and he left last. He was committed, consistent. And that's why we call him one of, one of the greatest of all time, because no one could deny the Mamba mentality. Here's the issue, I think. So many people want to have the success of a champion, but they don't want to work for it. Or maybe they want to work for it, but they try once. Maybe they don't succeed the way that they think, and they back off. Let me ask you a hard question. How willing are you to get closer to God? Let me me even put it like this. Are you desperate? Because your desperation will dictate what you do. If you're not desperate to grow, then when you start going and start getting discipled, you're going to have a moment with yourself where you question, is this really what I want to do? And you'll probably falter. But when it becomes all you want, when it's all you breathe, when, when nothing else matters, but I just want to, I want to get better. I want to know God more. I, I want to get closer to him. Everything changes because it doesn't matter what you go through, you're growing. When's the last time you've been desperate for God? I'm, I'm asking that myself. When's the last time I've been desperate for God? Where everything else just paled in comparison to my spiritual growth with him. When's the last time it kept you up? When's the last time that it's all you thought about? I'm just gonna let you know, maybe you're in this situation and it's been a long time. That's okay. We're all family here. I'm just letting you know for me, I wanna be so desperate for him that if I fail at that, it's the same as failing at my marriage. It, nothing else matters. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 24 says this, are they servants of Christ? I've worked much harder. Now, let me put this in context for a second. Paul, the great apostle, is listing his achievements and what he's gone through. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes five separate times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a a night and a day in an open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger from the country. He's been in danger of a very lot, if you can't tell. In danger at sea and in danger in the cold. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of concern for all my church. The Apostle Paul has gone through all that. Once again, if he's gone through that, then who are we to assume that we're not going to go through some hard time? But what's crazy is the final point. It's the very next scripture. If I may boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Because he realized that all the difficulty that he went through, all those tough times, brought him closer to Jesus. 
So he came to this point where instead of running away from growth, instead of running away from discipline, he embraced it. Is that what you want? Or maybe you might be like me, where sometimes you're so desperate for fame, you undercut your character. You know, there's a, there's a little book. Um, it's, it's a weird title, uh, The Secret Life of Trees. Yeah, it's a, it's a very weird book. I haven't read it. I heard a dissertation on it. Um, but I'm going to explain this for you guys. So there's, yeah, you guys ever seen a really big redwood tree, like in California, like the 200, 300 foot ones? If you haven't been there in person, you, we've all seen a photo of it, right? Like we know a large tree in a forest. Well, the large tree in the forest did not start as a large tree. It did not appear overnight. It started as a very, very small little flower, tree, thing, seed. Small. It's small. And trees grow from water and from sunlight. So usually the really big trees, because they have bigger root systems, they have more, they have more uh, leaves, they take in more sunlight. So there's not a lot of sunlight on the jungle floor. There's very little. So the tree has very little to work with. Now, usually we'd assume that the tree needs to grow up so that it can actually get more sunlight to work with. So here's the issue. If the tree chooses to grow up and it does it too fast, it crushes under its own weight. So what does it do? This is fascinating. The tree takes all of its energy and shoots roots down. No one sees it. No one notices it. And then it gets more energy and does the exact same thing over and over again. All it's doing is just building roots. And then there comes a day where the root system can support the tree itself. And it shoots up. And it becomes the tallest tree in the jungle. I'm just letting you know, sometimes God doesn't shoot you up yet. He doesn't put you in the position that you want because your root system can't handle it and it'd be a disaster for you. When's the last time that we as a church, instead of saying, I want to do great things for God, we said, I want to grow deep in God. But I'm letting you know, when we start making those declarations, when we desire so desperately to get close to God and we dig our roots in him, then we can sustain whatever, whatever he has for us. That's the prerequisite. So I know that some of you are going through a lot. I know that discipline isn't fun and growth isn't fun. So I just have something simple to say. Don't give up. Don't give up. Just because you haven't seen God move now doesn't mean he's not moving. He's just moving in ways that you can't see in the dirt underneath. The second question that I have with that is, am I okay with that? Because I think we, we know that that's happening. It's one thing to say it's happening. It's another thing to say, is it okay? Fight to build your roots down, then God will build you up when you're ready. That's seeking growth. That's seeking discipline. The final point, and this will be a remedy for some of you, and this will also be a bit hard to hear. My final point is that results will come eventually. But here's, here's the best part, okay? If you look back at Hebrews uh, 12, 11, 
And sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place. If you look back at Hebrews 12, 11, it says, eventually there will be a harvest, but it never tells you when. It never says that in two years you'll have a harvest. It never says in 10 years. It never says in 30 years. It says, however, it will produce a harvest. It just doesn't say when it, it does. I think that one of the issues that we have is that sometimes we're so expecting to God to move now or soon, and when he doesn't do that, we feel betrayed. But like I said before, just because we don't see God moving doesn't mean he's not moving. Know that there will be victory. There will be success in the end. It will come. Be patient. Your success will come when it's the right time, no sooner and no later. Ben, you can come on up again. Galatians 6, 9 is, is convicting. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, I know that we said that growth is difficult and that we got to stay in growth. Final thing is don't give up. For those of you that are really dealing with it, you feel like you're just going through the same thing over and over again, you just keep getting punched at. You can't stand up. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13 says this. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. This is the very next verse after Hebrews 12, 11. Make level, for your, make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled, for, but rather healed. Be desperate. Be desperate. That even though I don't see results, I don't care. I'm desperate for Jesus. That's all I want. That's all that he is for me. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, <laughs> I was a student leader and I was just starting to get my life back together and really start to pursue what God had for me. And then I said a, I said a really bad joke in front of a bunch of middle schoolers. And uh, what I didn't realize is that the very next week, they would all start saying the joke to a bunch of people. Now, I can't repeat the joke up here because it's that bad. Like, it's not good. And for the first time, I think, in a long time, I had a realization that what I said matters and people are watching. And that what I said wasn't matching with how I want to live my life. I was like, I don't know what to do. So I went to college and I said, okay, God, I'm desperate to grow closer to you. I don't even know how. I think I do, but I, I don't really know. I don't know the path. So I'm just going to go crazy. So in, one thing I like to do a lot is in, in like classes, I would like to speak a lot and show people how smart I am. So I made a rule that for the first year, I would say one thing for each class and I would not break that. And if it was something really intelligent or something really, really dumb, it was one thing and I was sticking to that. I, I just, I had to, I had no other place to go. I had to make limits and I had to start making habits now. And then I just said, you know what? I need, to, I need to understand this more. So I started doing research. I started listening to sermons about how to tame your tongue. I started reading books. And at the end of the day, it wasn't because I wanted to be better. I just, I was so desperate to grow. I didn't know how to do it, but I knew that if I just got close to God, he would move. And now, in this moment, I still like the sarcastic joke, but I, I don't have this impulse to say things that I can't control. It's different. 
And it's not because God moved. He did move. That's part of it. But it was because when he wanted to do the super, super, I chose to do the natural. I started at ground zero. I just want to be desperate for you. I just want to get closer to you. I just want to know you more. I just want to understand you. doesn't matter. I don't even know how to get there. I'm just going to get closer to you. When's the last time you've said that? So I don't mean this to be like, I hope this doesn't come off as like condescending or that I'm trying to like speak down to you. This is something that I'm trying to deal with myself. But can we be a people that are so focused on just getting closer to God that all the issues, all the politics, all the environmental issues, all the land stuff that you may be going through, all the financial stuff, it compels in comparison because we know who our God is. And no matter what happens, if he's on the throne, we're okay. Now, maybe this is your first time that you've ever heard something like this. Just want to let you know, you're not alone. There's a God in heaven that loved you and he died for you. So that one day we can have eternal life. So be desperate. Be desperate. Desire growth with every single ounce of your body. And it will be different for all of us. But I hope that we can look back in a year and say, you know what? I chose to be desperate. And look at me now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And you know, this is something that I, I still struggle with. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out as a person. Uh, it, it's hard because there are times that I, I want to please you and I want to serve you. And it, it, it's so difficult sometimes. But Lord, sometimes we just, we get you lost in all the noise. That first and foremost, I just want to desire you more today than yesterday. So I pray for every person in this room, no matter where they've been or what they've done. Lord, I pray that we just desire you a little bit more today than yesterday. That we choose you. We become desperate for you. That you're the only thing on our mind. In Jesus' name, amen.